Hey everyone, welcome to Bond Breakdown number two from Alton with love. Just because, you know, I'm doing a podcast from Alton. Uh, but yeah, today is going to be about from Russia with love. Uh, we're just going to jump right into just, you know, the, like kind of like the one we did with the first one. Just how it got made, the, the inspiration to write it, stuff like that. But without any further ado, let's get into it. You're now listening to the Lone Wolf, Lone Wolf, Lone Wolf, the Lone Wolf podcast. All righty, welcome to the Bond Breakdown number two from Alton. With love. Actually, I should put in parentheses. Russia. Uh, yeah. Today we're going to talk about From Russia With Love, the second installment of the legendary Bond franchise starring Mr. Sean Connery. Um, let me just start off with saying that I think this is... I don't know if it's, in my opinion, the best out of the ones I've... The best opening out of the ones I've I've watched so far. Uh, but out of the Sean Connery ones, I think it's certainly probably the the most clever um, opening one, opening scene out of the Sean Connery Bond films. Uh, so it basically starts off with, and give me a second, I need to go through my notes and find out what I wrote down here. So it opens up with Bond outside of some sort of estate at night. The, there's trimmed hedges, Greek statues, and there's traditional poses. The lighting looks similar to that of a noir film. There's blue and white lights outlining Bond's frame. On this estate, he seems to be tracking down some type of bad guy whom we, we don't get any backstory of. Uh, Bond spots the bad guy but misses. The stalk goes on. The bad guy takes an alternate route, and on that route, he takes a wire out of his wristwatch. Later, he catches up with Bond, and with his wire and gloves, he proceeds to strangle Bond. Succeeding in his mission, succeeding in his mission, the camera pushes forward and the estate's lights turn on. We see a bunch of men, all dressed in black, on a balcony, watching. An older man approaches the strangler and checks his stopwatch. Then the camera cuts to Bond, and a hand comes over his face and pulls off a mask, which reveals someone who looks similar but isn't Sean Connery. We find out that this was just a training session for Spectre, which is an acronym for Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. Whew, that's a mouthful. The group is the one behind Bond's missions to right the wrongs of the world. Now, I know I gave, it, gave a brief explanation of that, and I uh, I need to eventually get this, this podcast on YouTube. I will. Uh, I will just give it time. Um, I would love to just show you, uh, if I could, without getting any YouTube strikes or any copyright stuff, show you the the, the intro because it's it just it's it's an it's like candy for your eyes. So before I get into kind of the 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 novel or I guess the inspiration for the writing of the novel and production casting stuff like that, uh, the the filming etc. Uh, I like to just make a couple kind of side notes about. Um, from Russia with Love. Uh, first of all, the film marked the debut of Desmond Llewellyn as Q, a role he would play for 36 years until uh, The World Is Not Enough in 1999, starring the uh, the bond of my of my youth, uh, of my 
kid youth, uh, Pierce Brosnan. And uh, from Russia with Love was also John F. Kennedy's Rest in Peace, uh, top 10 favorite books to read. So I just thought those were a couple cool, uh, interesting little, little, little factoids to throw in there. So, From Russia with Love by Ian Fleming's novel was a Cold War thriller, but the producers replaced the Soviet undercover agency Smirsch with the crime syndicate Spectre so as to avoid controversial political overtones. The Spectre training grounds were inspired by the Spartacus, by the film Spartacus. Uh, the original screenwriter was Don Lynn Dayton, who accompanied uh, Harry Saltzman, Sid Kane, and Terrence Young to Istanbul. But he was replaced because of a lack of progress. Thus, two of Dr. No's writers, Joanna Harwood and Richard Malibom, returned for the second film in the series. Some sources stated uh, Harwood with being credited for adaption, mostly for suggestions which were carried over into Malibom's script. Malibom. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Harwood stated in an interview in a cinema retro that she had been a screenwriter of several of Harry Saltzman's projects and a screenplay for From Russia With Love had followed Fleming's novel closely, but she left the series due to what she called Terrence Young's constant rewriting of her screenplays with ideas that were not in the original Fleming work. My bum kept on making rewrites as filming progressed. Red Grant was added to the Istanbul scene just prior to the film's crew trip to Turkey, a change that brought more focus to the Spectre plot. As Grant started saving Bond's life there, open parentheses, a late change during shooting involved Grant killing the respected spy at Hagia Sophia instead of Bond, who ends up just finding the man dead. Close parentheses. For the last quarter of the movie, Mybom added two chase scenes with a helicopter and speedboats and changed the location of Bond and Kleb's battle from Paris to Venice. On to the casting. Although uncredited, the actor who played number one was Anthony Dawson, who had played Professor Denton in the previous Bond film, Dr. No, and appeared in several of Terrence Young's films. In the end credits, Blofeld is credited with a question mark. Blofeld's lines were redubbed by Viennese actor Eric Pullman. Peter Burton was unavailable to return as Major Boothroyd, so Desmond Llewellyn, a Welsh actor who was a fan of the Bond comic strip, accepted the part. However, screen credit for Llewellyn was omitted at the opening of the film and is reserved for the, extra, for the exit credits, where, is he, where he is credited simply as Boothroyd. Llewellyn's character is not referred to by his name in dialogue, but M does not introduce him as being from Q Branch. Llewellyn remained as the character better known as Q in all but one of the series' films until his death in 1999. Several actresses were considered for the role of Titan. Tatiana, including Italian Silva Cuscina and Verna Lucy, Danish actresses Annette Vadim and English-born Tania Mallet. 1960 Miss Universe runner-up Daniela Bianchi was ultimately cast. Supposedly Sean Connery's choice, and I think we know why. Wink, wink. Bianchi started taking English classes for the role, but the producers ultimately chose to have her lines redubbed by British stage actress Barbara Jefford. The scene in which Bond finds Tatiana as hotel bed was used for Bianchi's screen test, with Dawson standing in this time as Bond. The scene later became the traditional screen test for prospective James Bond actors and Bond girls. Greek actress Katina Paxanou was originally considered for the role of Rosa Klebb, but was unavailable. Terence Young cast Austrian singer Lot Linya after hearing one of her musical recordings. 
Young one of Kronstein's portrayed to be an actor with a remarkable face, so the minor character will be well remembered by audience. This led to the casting of Vladek Shebel, whom Young also considered convincing as an intellectual. Several women were tested for the roles of Vida and Zora, the two fighting gypsy girls, and after Eliza Gurr and Martine Beswick were cast, they spent six weeks practicing their fight choreography with stunt work arranger Peter Perkins. Beswick was miscredited as Martin Beswick in the film's opening titles, but this small error was fixed for the 2001 DVD release. Mexican actor Pedro Amindariz was recommended to Young by director John Ford to play Kareem Bey. After experiencing increasing discomfort on location in Istanbul, Amindariz was diagnosed with inoperable cancer. That's a shame. Filming in Istanbul was terminated. The production moved to Britain, and Armindariz's scenes were brought forward so that he could complete his scenes without delay. Though visibly in pain, he continued working as long as possible. When he could no longer work, he return, returned home and took his own life. Well, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess I could see the dignity in that. Rather than writhing in pain and going out with a whimper, might as well just go out before it really gets bad. So I could, I could see that. Remaining shots after Amindariz left London had a stunt double and Terrence Young himself as stand-ins. On to the filming. Most of the film was set in Istanbul, Turkey. Locations included the Basilica Cistern, Hagia Sophia, and the Circassi Railway Station, which also was used for the Belgrade and Zagreb Railway Stations. The MI6 office in London, Spectre Island, the Venice Hotel, and the interior scenes of the Orient... Express were filmed at Pinewood Studios, with some footage of the train. In the film, the train journey was set in Eastern Europe. The journey and the truck ride were shot in Argyll, Scotland, and Switzerland. The end scenes for the film were shot in Venice. However, to qualify for the British film funding of the time, at least 70% of the film had to be, have been filmed in Great Britain for the Commonwealth. The Gypsy Camp was also to be filmed in an actual camp in Topkapi, but was actually shot in a replica of it in Pinewood. The scene with rats was shot in Spain, as Britain did not allow filming with wild rats, and an attempt filming white rats painted in cocoa in Turkey did not work. Principal photography began on April 1st, 1963, and for people who don't know like film jargon, principal photography is when you actually like officially start shooting. But principal photography began on April 1st, 1963 and wrapped on August 23. Ian Fleming spent a week in the Istanbul shoot supervising production and touring the city with the producers. Director Terence Young's eye for realism was evident throughout the production. For the opening chess match, Kronstein wins the game with a reenactment of Boris Spassky's victory over David Bronstein in 1960. Production designer Sid Kane built up the chess palm motif in his $150,000 set for the brief sequence. Kane also later added a promotion to another movie Eon was producing, making Kirilenko's death happen inside a billboard for Kalme Buana. A noteworthy Gatchard feature was the Atachi briefcase issued by the Q branch. It had a tear gas bomb that detonated if the case was improperly opened, a folding AR-7 sniper rifle, 20 rounds of ammunition, a throwing knife, and 50 gold sovereigns. 
A boxer Cambridge, young choreographed the fight between Grant and Bond, along with stunt coordinator Peter Perkins. The scene took three weeks to film and was violent enough to worry some on the production, yet Robert Sean Connery did most of the stunts themselves. Respect to that. Not many people do that nowadays, and I think, in my personal opinion as a, as a filmmaker, it takes away from the realism of the scene. you got to hide too much with with cuts. And I think that's why people like John Wick and John Wick 2 uh, a lot, um, just because they they do like one shot, and what they're doing is basically Brazilian jiu-jitsu moves, and they're, you know, it just sucks you into the story even more. But anyways, after the unexpected loss of Armin Duris, production proceeded, experiencing complications from uncredited rewrites by Berkeley Mather during filming. Editor, editor, redo. Editor Peter Hunt said about editing the film why key elements were still to be filmed, helping to restructure the opening scenes. Hunt and Young conceived of moving the Red Grant training sequence to the beginning of the film, a signature feature that has been an enduring hallmark of every Bond film since. The briefing with Blowfield was rewritten and back projection was used to refilm Lot Lenya's lines. Behind schedule and over budget, the production crew struggled to complete production in time for the already announced premiere date that October. On July 6, 1963, while scouting locations in Argyle for that day's filming of the climatic boat chase, Terrence Young's helicopter crashed into the water with art director Michael White and a cameraman aboard. The craft sank into 40 to 50 feet. Despite the calamity, Young was behind the camera for the full day's work. A few days later, Bianchi's driver fell asleep during the commute to a 6 a.m. shoot and crashed the car. The actress's face was bruised and Bianchi's scenes had to be delayed for two weeks while the facial contusions healed. The helicopter and boat chase scenes were not in the original novel but were added to create an action climax. The former was inspired by the crop dusting scene in Hitchcock's North by Northwest and the latter by a previous young broccoli Malbom collaboration, The Red Beret. These two scenes would initially be shot in Istanbul, but were moved to Scotland. To Scotland! The speedboats could not run fast enough due to the many waves in the sea, and a rented boat filled with cameras ended up sinking in the Bosphorus. A helicopter was also hard to obtain, and the special effects crew were nearly arrested trying to get one at a local airbase. The helicopter chase was filmed with a radio-controlled miniature helicopter. The sounds of the boat chase were replaced in post-production since the boats were not loud enough, and the explosion shot in Pinewood got out of control, burning water Gotel's eyelids and seriously injuring three stuntmen. Photographer David Hearn was commissioned by the producers of the James Bond films to shoot a series of stills with Sean Connery and the actresses of the film. When the theatrical property Walter PPK pistol did not arrive, Hearn volunteered the use of his own Walter LP-53 air pistol. Though the photographs of the James Bond is back posters of the U.S. release airbrushed out the long barrel of the pistol, film poster artist Renato Frattini used the long-barreled pistol for his own drawings of Connery on the British posters. For the opening credits, Maurice Binder had disagreements with the producers and did not want to return. Designer Robert Brownjohn, <laughs> sorry, some of these names are hilarious. Uh, designer Robert Brownjohn, stepped into his place and projected the credits on female dancers, inspired by constructivist artist Laszlo Mahalinegi. That's my best, my best, <laughs> that's my best try. Uh, that artist projecting light onto clouds in the 1920s. 
Brown John's work stated the tradition of scantily clad women in the Bond's film title sequences, and thank you for that, my good sir. On to the production. Following the financial success of Dr. No, United Artists greenlit a second James Bond film. The studio doubled the budget offered to Eon Productions with $2 million, and also approved a bonus for Sean Connery, who would receive $100,000 along with his $54,000 salary. As President John F. Kennedy had named Fleming's novel From Russia with Love among his 10 favorite books of all time in Life magazine, producers Broccoli and Saltzman chose this as follow-up to Bond's cinematic debut in Dr. No. From Russia with Love was the last film President Kennedy saw at the White House on November 20th, 1963, before going to Dallas. Of course, we all know what happened with that well, while he was in Dallas. Most of the crew from the first film returned, with major exceptions being production designer Ken Adam, who went to work on Dr. Strangelove, one of Stanley Kubrick's classics, and was replaced by Dr. No's art director, Sid Kane. Title designer Maurice Binder was replaced by Robert Brown John, and stunt coordinator Bob Simmons was unavailable and was replaced by Peter Perkins, though Simmons performed stunts in the film. John Barry replaced Monty Norman as composer of the soundtrack, the film introduced several conventions which would become essential elements of the series. A pre-title sequence, the Blofeld character, a secret webbing gadget for Bond, a helicopter sequence, a postscript action scene after the main climax, a theme song with lyrics, and the line, James Bond will return. And now on to the plot for From Russia with Love. In London, M informs Bond that Romanova has contacted their Station T in Turkey. Claiming to have fallen in love with Bond from his file photo, she offers to defect to the West and will bring a top-secret lector with her to sweeten the deal. But only on the condition that Bond handle her case personally. Prior to his departure, Bond is supplied by Q with an Attache case containing a concealed throwing knife, gold sovereigns, a special tear gas booby trap connected to the lock mechanism, and ammunition for an Armalite AR-7 with an infrared night scope. After traveling to Istanbul, Bond heads into the city to meet with station head Ali Kirimbe, tailed by Bulgarian secret agents working for the Russians. They are in turn tailed by Grant, who kills one of them after Bond is taken back to his hotel, stealing the car and dumping it outside the Soviet consulate in order to provoke hostilities between British and Soviet intelligence. In response, the Soviets bomb Karim's office with the limpet mine, but Karim is away from his desk for a tryst with his mistress. He and Bond then investigate the attack by spying on a Soviet consulate, meeting through a periscope installed in the underground aqueducts beneath Istanbul. Thus, they learn that the Soviet agent Kurlinku is responsible for the bombing. Karim Bey declares it unwise to stay in the city under such circumstances and takes Bond to a rural gypsy settlement. However, Kurlinku learns of this and promptly attacks a gypsy feast. Much to Bond's confusion, he is saved from an enemy fighter during the attack by a distant sniper shot from Grant. The following night, Bond and Kareem Bey track Kurlinku down to his hideout, where Kareem Bey kills him with Bond's rifle. Upon returning to his hotel suite that night, Bond finds Romanova waiting for him in his bed. Neither are aware that Spectre is filming them. The next day, Romanova heads off for a prearranged rendezvous at Hagia Sophia, to drop off the floor plans for the consulate. 
with Grant ensuring Bond receives the plans by killing the other Bulgarian tail who attempts to intercept the drop. Using the plans, Bond and Kareem Bey successfully steal the Lecter and, together with Romanova, escape with the device onto the Orient Express. On the train, Kareem Bey quickly notices a Soviet security officer named Benz, tailing them, prompting him and Bond to subdue him. When Bond leaves Benz and Kareem Bey alone together, Grant kills them and makes it appear as though they killed each other, preventing Bond from leaving the train with Romanova to rendezvous with one of Kareem's men. At the railway station in Belgrade, Bond passes on word of Kareem Bey's death to one of his sons and asks for an agent from Station Y to meet him at Zagreb. However, when the train arrives at the station, Grant intercepts Nash, sent from Station Y, killing the agent before posing as him. After drugging Romanova at dinner, Grant overpowers Bond before taunting him about Spectre's involvement in the theft. After disclosing that Romanova was unaware of what was truly going on, believing she was working for Russia, Grant reveals to Bond his plans to leave behind the film Spectre took of him and Romanova at the hotel, along with the forged blackmail letter, to make it appear that their deaths were the result of a murder-suicide to scandalize the British intelligence community. Bond quickly convinces him to accept a bribe of gold sovereigns in exchange for a final cigarette tricking Grant into setting off the booby trap in his Attache case. In the ensuing fight, Bond narrowly gains the upper hand, stabbing Grant with the case's concealed knife before strangling him. Bond then drags the comatose Romanova from the train, where he hijacks Grant's getaway truck and flees the scene with Romanova. Upon hearing news of Grant's death, Number One calls Club and Kronstein onto the carpet to explain what went wrong and remind them that the Spectre does not tolerate failure. Kronstein is executed by the henchman, Morzini, with a kick from the poison-tipped switchblade in his shoe. Kleb, however, is given one last chance to make good on the mission and acquire the lector. The next morning, Bond's stolen truck is intercepted along its escape route by a Spectre helicopter. But 007 destroys the attacking aircraft by shooting its co-pilot with a sniper rifle, causing the man to drop a live hand grenade in the cockpit. Thus, Bond and Romanova make it to Grant's escape boat on the Dalmatian coast and steal that too, only to be pursued by Morzini, who leads a squadron of Spectre powerboats. Bond, however, escapes by dumping his own powerboat's fuel drums overboard and detonating them with a flare to engulf all the chase boats in a sea of flames. Eventually, he and Romanova reach a hotel in Venice, Italy, where they believe themselves to be safe. Kleb, however, disguised as a maid, makes one final attempt on Bond and the Lecter. In a climatic fight with Bond, she tries to kick him with a poisoned switchblade shoe, but Romanova shoots her with her own dropped gun. With the mission accomplished, Bond and Romanova leave Venice on a romantic boat ride, in which course Bond throws Grant's blackmail film into the canal, and they ride off into the distance. Folks, I want to thank you so much for listening to the second episode of Bond Breakdown. Uh, just like every other episode, I would try to get better and better in each one. Uh, hopefully my, my reading will sound better. It will sound more like storytelling rather than just reading off a bunch of, of facts that I've written down. But uh, besides that, I, I really think anybody who's listening to my podcast at all, but especially to this one because I'm, I'm a big fan of Bond. But um yeah, this is the end of Bond Breakdown number two, and I will see you on the next episode.